Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. This morning we continue in our series called Reimagining Resilience. I think we are in week six or seven. Last week we did the importance of self-care as a building block to resilience. And remember the overarching reality as we enter this season where we're talking about what it would be to reimagine resilience is not this idea of trying harder, not this idea of being tougher, but what it looks like to fully abide in Jesus and to use some of the building blocks that he's given us in order to help sustain us on this journey. Uh, The definition we've been using of resilience that we've put together is the ability to joyfully adapt, recover, and re-engage quickly without it distorting your view of yourself, of God, and of His church. And so this morning, we're looking at the building block of community and how community um, can help us in terms of resilience. We're going to be looking at our text from 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 to 12, and I'm reading out of the Common English Bible. Paul is writing to a church that um, was planted in literally three Sabbaths. In 21 days, uh, this church was established, and Paul is writing back to this church, and he's telling them Um, a a series of things, because after he's planted the church, other people have come in and have started preaching some things that have begun to freak the Thessalonian church out. So he's, he's writing a letter to them, and he's reminding them of his interaction with that church when he planted that church. Although we could have thrown our weight around as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle with you like a nursing mother. And I want you to listen to the family language that comes through this text. We were gentle with you like a nursing mother caring for her own children. We were glad to share not only God's good news with you, but also our very lives because we cared for you so much. You remember, brothers and sisters, our efforts and hard work. We preached God's good news to you while we worked night and day so we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. You and God are witnesses of how holy, just, and blameless we were towards you believers." Likewise, you know how we treated each one of you like a father treats his own children. We appealed, encouraged, and pleaded with you. Some versions say exhorted you to live lives worthy of God who is calling you into his kingdom and glory. Paul is saying that the way in which we treated you was the way in which a, a mother would tenderly treat you, a nursing mother would treat you. The way we treated you was the way in which a father would exhort and encourage you to remain true to the faith. And you are our brothers and sisters. And throughout Scripture, there's multiple metaphors that are used for the gathered church. Uh, there's the metaphor of uh, the body. There's the metaphor of the bride. There's the metaphor of the field. Uh, there's the metaphor of the army. But Throughout Scripture, consistently, the one main lens that we see Scripture use most often and most importantly is the lens of family. Family clarifies the roles and responsibilities um, of how we are to operate within the context of community. And this is difficult because family is complicated. Um, Some of our deepest wounds come from family. Some of our greatest um, challenges come from our family. And much like church, where you don't get to pick your family, you initially, like these men and women, 
um, have a choice about being here. None of them were coerced into standing up here. They made a, they made a choice to be here. But ultimately, what they're going to recognize is the rest of the people that begin to join this community are not necessarily people that they decide can choose this community. And so we're in this family context where we don't necessarily get to choose each other. So that's one of the challenges that we start with when we, we view community, and, and particularly when we view churches as family. The other challenge that we have is that as Western-minded people, the idea of community is not something that we're really very good at. In fact, Joseph Hellerman, in his book, When the Church Was a Family, says this, social anthropologists refer to modern America as a weak group society, where the needs, goals, and desires of the individual come first. Personal allegiance to the group, whether that group is my family, my church, my co-workers, or a civic organization, is a sort of secondary consideration. We tend to view the groups in our lives in a rather utilitarian way. What does that mean? It means that these broader social entities serve as a resource that we as individuals draw on in order to realize our own goals and to navigate our own personal pathways to life. And so what Hellerman is saying is, though we may be part of community, and though we may desire to be part of community, the reality and the dominant Western mindset around community and family is what is in it for me. It's how can this community help me as an individual realize my own goals and navigate my own personal pathway through life. And so we sit with a difficult challenge. Some of us are from communities and from backgrounds where what is best for the community is primary and what is best for the individual is secondary. Now, Scripture says something unique to both of those communities. The Western mindset, the individual is paramount. Um, other mindsets, the community is paramount. And Scripture says that unless both are paramount, neither are going to be healthy. And so that's what we are invited into. Now, I know this morning that by nature of the fact that you're here, I'm preaching to the choir. And so I, I understand that even as we sit here, I'm going to be saying some things to you where you're like, I know, move on. Go, you know, we've got donuts and coffee to get to. Um, but these are important things because often the, the, the issue of community, and, and, and Pat and Alex and I were having this conversation, the idea that we would still be committed to community is something that is actually challenged by us. Why are you still part of this? Why do you give your time to this when so many people are walking away? And so one of the, the, the things that we need to recognize is that when we come to faith, Hellerman says that faith is a community creation event. And so it isn't just the idea of a personal ascent to faith, where yes, Jesus does become your personal Lord and Savior, but I think we've made too much of that um, for the disadvantage of the reality of saying that once we come to faith, throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, you become part of a new family with God as your Father. When you become part of this new family, then we recognize that we are not here to taste sermons to sip kind of worship expressions, to audit community and to see whether it serves my needs. When, when we come to faith in a deep and genuine way and we understand the importance of community, we realize that we are not consumers of spiritual products, but we are part of a covenantal and sacrificial family. And that through us, the tangible experience of the kingdom of God is made known to those in our spheres of influence. It's made known when people walk into this gathering, but it's also made known tomorrow in our places of work. 
where Jesus is glorified, where Jesus is worshipped, where He is loved, and where He is obeyed. We actually get to set that example in the different communities that we're at. Part of being part of this community and being part of a life group and being, being part of serving communities is that we are actively opposing the cultural siren song of comfort, convenience, safety, and security. When we revel in the mercy of God, when we proclaim the mercy of God, when we display the mercy of God and participate in acts of mercy, then we are doing something that is completely countercultural. And it's our vision at Mercy Commons to create and protect a community that knows, loves, supports, and challenges us so that we can be resilient and joyful disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. That is our desire. Now, we do that because Dietrich Bonhoeffer gives us a warning about community. And in his book, Life Together, he says this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. And that's part of the challenge of walking into a space with different ages, different people. And what we're saying is, I want a community that. And maybe the question we should be asking is, God, how can you help me to love the people that you've called me to be in community with, which will, by definition, create community? So this morning, we're going to look at how community builds resilience through shared experiences, through shared resources, and through shared convictions. And what I'm going to be doing is, is looking at these three topics through the lens of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and three moments in her life when community became this building block of resilience. And so in Luke 1, verse 34 to 35... I'm going to read a text that you guys are probably only used to reading at Advent. Mary said to the angel, how will this happen? The angel comes and says that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her and that she um, will give birth to the Messiah. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even in your old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Then the angel left her. Mary got up and hurried to, the city, to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zechariah's home, that's Elizabeth's husband, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And with a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Just as soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord will fulfill the promise he made to her. One of the key building blocks of resilience and how community helps that is that we have shared experiences. And so here, Mary goes to Elizabeth, the angel, I mean, think about this, right? This teenage girl, this angel tells her that she's going to be pregnant. How's this going to happen? I haven't had sexual relations with a man. He tells her how it's going to happen. Still, there's this sense of like, I, I don't realize it's going to happen. The angel says, well, Elizabeth is also going to have a child. And she was told that she couldn't conceive. And so what does Mary do? She goes straight to Elizabeth. And in the context of the shared experience, both of their faith 
is elevated. Because as Mary walks in the room, Elizabeth prophetically realizes what has happened. And I can imagine Elizabeth, even after her, her husband, who cannot speak now, she's in this situation of like, what is going on? As soon as Mary walks in, she knows. There's this prophetic sense upon her. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby jumps in her womb, and then she knows this is of God. Why? We have this shared experience. Both you and I have experienced something that is weird. Both you and I have experienced something that is very awkward. But in talking about this and in being together, we suddenly realize and know that this is of God. The next thing that happens is that, that Mary kind of bursts out into the song of praise and joy, and where she's declaring the goodness of God. And in that moment, as she sees Elizabeth, that shared experience actually builds her faith, and it makes her more, resil more resilient, and it helps her to actually take the next step, which is returning to her home, now being fully pregnant. When I, was, when I just came to faith, um, I came to faith in my senior year of high school, and um, I didn't have any church background. We didn't even have a Bible in my home. I went to a, a Christian bookstore to buy a Bible, and I said to the lady there, I am here to buy a Bible, and the lady says to me, what kind of Bible? And I said, the Holy Bible. <laughs> I didn't know there were kinds of Bibles. What are you talking about? And thankfully, she recognized that I really didn't know what I was doing or what I needed, and so she gave me a, um, a good news Bible that had pictures in it. I'm kind of offended right now, now that I think about it, you know what I mean? But it had, I mean, those of you that have been around long, it had like those pictures with people without faces, you know? It was like that kind of weird Bible, but it, it really helped. The... The church that I came into was a Presbyterian church, but it had a spirit-filled life group that eventually, the, 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 I mean youth group, that eventually those leaders were asked to leave the church because they were causing too many problems with a, a Presbyterian theology. So what had happened is I came into a very charismatic um, experience of Christianity. And um, from knowing nothing... Uh, to being involved in praying for people, seeing healings, seeing people prophesy, seeing words of knowledge. Those things are kind of standard for me now. But at that moment, we're standing in a circle, and we're, we're holding hands. I don't know why we're holding hands. I don't know where this came from. It is another one of those weird and awkward things where sometimes people hold hands when they pray. Um, I was recently in a situation where we said we were going to pray, and someone went to put their hand out, and the other person did this. And we're like, okay, you know, we do that. And I remember being there, and I, and, and I remember God saying to me, or speaking to me, and this, this was the first time I'd felt like God was telling me something. And we were praying for this young man who was, who was sick. He had, had problems with his lungs. And I said, I, I remember, I don't know if you've ever had this happened to you? Probably not. My wife says it only happens to you, Nick, where you hear the words coming out of your mouth before you've processed them in your brain, you know, and, and you know, she says that's a Nickism, it's not a, you know, but I, I hear myself saying, were you born prematurely? And, and the guy looks at me and he says, yes, I was. I was born in seven months, and because of that, I've had problems with my lungs my whole life, and so in that moment, what happened was I was so freaked out, I ran away to the other room. 
I don't know what had happened. They continued to pray for him. This old man came, and he sat down on the bed next to me, and his name was Ed. And he said to me, Nick, do you know what happened? And I said, I have no idea what just happened. He said, God's Spirit spoke through you and gave you a word of knowledge for that guy. Now, next week, I want you to come to my home, and I'm going to help you understand some of these things, and I'm going to show you where some of these things come in Scripture. And in that moment, I only knew this weeks later, but in that moment, that, that elevated my faith, obviously, because I didn't think I was crazy, as crazy, um, but it also elevated Ed's faith, because as someone that had been in the faith for a long time, to actually be able to see God's Spirit use someone that was 16, had just come to faith, and God is using them, was this moment of shared experience that actually helped us to resolve both my very, very kind of new faith and his faith that had been for many years but had been a little faded. This is easy, right, when it's good experiences. Uh, even if those experiences are weird or awkward, uh, people's initial response to us is key. Uh, when someone is experiencing something that is a little awkward but a little out of the natural, we need to be those that are intentionally breathing life and faith into people and not feeding their doubt. There are people in this, uh, in this room that are outstanding at this. Um, David Platiero is one of those guys. He's like, man, this thing has happened to you. This is amazing. You should go with it. You should run with this. There, there are people that are gifted in that. As I, I read through this, I was realizing that Elizabeth was six months pregnant. It said that Mary stayed with her for another three months. But the Bible doesn't tell us that Mary was present when Elizabeth had her child. But I know, ladies, that it's not technically nine months. It's more like nine and three quarters months. I know that. Um, but I, I think it's possible that Mary was there when Elizabeth gave birth to John. And I think to myself, wow. What a privilege to be present at that birth. When Mary herself is pregnant, knowing that Joseph is, is already freaked out by this, knowing that her family and the village that she's at is freaked out by this, and seeing Elizabeth give birth. And when God is birthing someone in something in someone else, and we're present, it's like a holy, messy, scary, but intimate moment. I know this, I've said this multiple times before, my wife's a doula, every time she comes back, she is so tired, she is so exhausted, but there is just, she says, Nick, there's just something spiritual about being in a place where new life has come in. Sometimes it's been hectic, sometimes it's been easier, but when God is birthing something in someone, and we have the privilege of being, pre of being present, um, and our small pregnancy is happening, it gives us just greater hope and greater faith. It gives us more confidence in God that we would experience the same. And Karin and I have watched victories when people, there are, there are babies that Karin has been present in when that baby has come and breathed its first, first breath, where we have prayed and other members of the community have prayed because people have been told they haven't been able to have babies. We've sat with a couple um, that has experienced adultery and have decided to actually place their faith in Jesus and forgive and repent one another and are married, still married, and enjoying the closeness of that relationship and fellowship with God. But we've also been present when prayers are unanswered. We've also been present where, where people are hurt and wounded by the fact that God has not moved in the way that they expected God to move. 
And so part of the shared experiences that we have is not just the good experiences we have. Part of the shared experiences we have are some of the negative things that we experience. Part of the challenge of that is we experience negative things from each other in the context of community. Is it Ethan's graduation? Consider it a real privilege to have been there. Whoop, whoop. Um, and Ethan wanted to go to In-N-Out after graduation. So we go to In-N-Out, and um, Fallon will tell you that they never get my order right, okay? <laughs> it is a three-by-one, three meat, one cheese, onions, extra lettuce, okay? They never get that right. Ask Fallon. They never get it right. You know, you know what? This is the interesting thing. I keep going back to In-N-Out. How many of you have got your order wrong at a fast food place and you go back, right? Man, one thing goes wrong in the church, that's it, I'm out. I'm done. I'm done with you people. And the reality is, is, is there's this expectation that actually some people are going to get it wrong sometimes. Uh, actually, there's this expectation that, no, this is a complicated order, you know? <laughs> then, okay, there's so it's cultural reference. You, you need to understand complicated order, okay? It's a complicated order. People are going to get it wrong. That family and church is made up of broken people. Now, this is the amazing thing. The Bible sets our expectations really low when it comes to family and people. It does. Do you know why? Because in the Old Testament, with Jesus in Matthew 18, with Paul in the letter to the Corinthians and the Philippians, there are directions on how to deal with it when you are let down or people sin against you. In other words, there is this expectation that this is going to happen. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us that when a brother sins against you, this is how you are to respond. He does not say, in the family of God, no one is going to sin against you. He doesn't say that. Paul says that this is how you deal with a brother who is overtaken by sin. This is how you deal with someone who is unrepentant of sin. This is how you deal with division. This is how you deal with people that are sinning. This is how you deal with the brokenhearted. This is how you deal with all of these situations. And so the Bible sets very valid expectations for human behavior within the context of community. Somehow, we have totally elevated that. All I want you to do is invite you to read the Gospels of the men that are walking with Jesus and the kinds of things that they say. Like, please, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit on your left and can I sit on your right? Who is greater than us, you know? Um, how about um, these people didn't believe your message? Do you want us to rain down fire on them, you know? I'm like, number one, that's bold. But secondly, James and John, I don't think you could do that, even if you did pray for that. The Bible is full of what to do when we are hurt by our community, and the challenge that we have is that the enemy also attacks our unity because of how alluring it is when it's working. I remember um, being away for a while, and, um, and I was on a team, and the leader of this team and I were, um, it, we were just having some relational friction and, and conflict. And I'd been gone for a couple of weeks, and I came back, and we sat down in the meeting, and, and he said, hey, Nick, it's so great to, um, no, he didn't say that. Hey, Nick, it wasn't the same without you. And so this is in my insecurity. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it wasn't the same without me. I'm pretty sure it was better when I wasn't here. I'm pretty sure that you are just so happy that I'm back, aren't you? you know? 
I realized in that, actually, man, I took his statement that I know that he meant in a positive way. It wasn't the same without you. And because of my insecurity and because I listened to the voice of the accuser, I turned his statement into a negative thing. It is better for us when you're not here. And there's so many things that we pick up in the context of our community. That person didn't say hello to me. I waved at that person. That person didn't uh, acknowledge me. And, and there are times where there are legitimate reasons for that. Now, part of the challenge that we have to is we, we need to be able to watch out for one another. And when we watch someone recover from disappointment and pain, it actually changes your level of faith and it builds resilience in you. I was talking to someone on the phone uh, this, uh, this week, and they have been deeply wounded by someone in this community. And I was just saying, I, I said to her, I don't want to know the details unless you've spoken to them. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to participate in gossip. I, I just want to ask you this thing. Are you, are you walking through this in a biblical way? And she said to me, yes, I am. But also God has clearly spoken to me in terms of what I'm to do in this situation. And in this situation, I need to forgive. And I don't need to ask that person to repent. In this situation, I need to forgive. So I prayed with her. She was weepy. I was weepy. And the reality is I, I put the phone down and I felt, I felt like my faith had been stirred. I felt like I was more resilient. I felt like I had been encouraged. Why? Because even in the context of this community that I love with two people that hurt each other, not intentionally, but that have hurt each other, there's still this love for Jesus, love for one another, and a desire to actually give each other the benefit of the doubt. Now, it doesn't matter in this situation whether the other person wants to or doesn't want to. The reality is I had a conversation with someone who's had a bad experience with someone in this community and is saying, I'm choosing to walk this more difficult path and I hope I manage to help her in that context. That's what we're talking about. Community is easy when everything is going well. And I want to say this. I say this often at our visitors and potential members' lunch. I cannot promise that I will not hurt you, and I cannot promise that I will not let you down. I cannot promise that this church will not do the same. However, what I can promise is that I will be intention, intentional to repair that damage. And so we cannot promise each other that we won't hurt each other. But what we can promise each other and should promise each other is that we will be diligent and intentional in repairing that damage in a biblical way. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about clearly abusive contexts. I'm not talking about areas in which people are actively trying to hurt you. I'm not talking about that. We, we understand what I'm talking about, right? Shared resources. I mean, our name, Mercy Commons. Mercy Commons uh, was a name that God gave to us um, because of the profound power of the word mercy, but also because Commons is a shared resource that we all have access and responsibility for. Um, at Life Group afterwards, we were talking about this idea of women that have a common closet, mainly sisters, sometimes mothers and daughters, where it's this idea of, I can borrow this because we are part of a family. What I didn't realize is how many rules there were about this common closet, you know, and how differently it operates. You know? So for me, I would like you to ask permission. You know, if you want to borrow something, just ask permission if you, if you want to borrow it. Uh, I would also like to say that permission granted once 
does not equal permission granted in eternity for that article of clothing. So we, we had that conversation as well, you know, with my daughters and, and with Samantha. It's like, well, you said yes once, so basically anytime I want to borrow it, this is fine, you know. Um, it also apparently does not... Um, uh, this doesn't work when it comes to Doc Martens. So Doc Martens are off the table. They are not part of the common closet. Okay. When we're part of a, a community, we share our resources. And this morning, even in uh, the confession, we said that we are sharing our treasures, our time, and our talents. And my wife said this is a bit of a stretch, but when Mary went to Bethlehem, there was someone that actually shared their resource with Mary and Joseph and allowed them to stay in the stable or the guest house with the animals. Uh, there was a person that actually opened their home. Now, we know that there was not enough room in the paid inns, but someone actually said, you can stay with me. I will sh share my resource with you. And so Mary has this, this sense of shared experience with Elizabeth. She now has the sense of shared resource from someone that she, she doesn't really know. And we need to understand that we live in a culture where the, the idea of shared resources is not as important as it was back then. People were kicked out of their family. People were kicked out of their cultural group because they'd become Christians. And so the necessity of physically providing for Christians was much higher then. But even in the context of this community, again, this week, I had a gentleman come to me and he said, um, I want to give uh, a large amount of money to someone in this community. How do I do that? That's a, a massive blessing. Like, when I hear things like that, I'm so excited. Like, it's not me, is it? No, no. <laughs> it wasn't me, just in case. You know what I, mean? I love that. I love that someone in this community um, is being generous as a whole to the community, but is asking God, okay, God, who in this community can I be extra generous to? And that's the sharing of resources. The sharing of time is one of the most precious gifts that we have and resources that we don't actually want to part with. And let's be honest, in our more affluent Western culture, it's easier to give money than it is to give time. And I had this, um, this amazing story um, out of our life group. And um, one, of the, one of the women in our life group was really struggling with an inability to sleep. And so we prayed for her. Um, Karen went and sat with her for a bit, but this is what blew my mind. Someone else in our life group set their alarm for 3 o'clock in the morning, woke up, prayed for her, and went back to sleep. That blows my mind. I mean, is it the most super spiritual thing you can do? Is it, I don't even know how long it was. I'm pretty sure some of those were like, oh, please help us sleep, Amen. But the fact that you would say, I'm going to actually share my time with someone who is struggling, and I'm, I'm going to do what I can do in this moment because I'm part of a community and part of a family, that's powerful. We have others of you that have shared your time in terms of foster the city. Others of you that have said, hey, I'm going to give my time so, so that you can go and um, have a date. I'm going to bring a meal to you because that you're inviting these children into your home and trying to provi provide that kind of environment. There's the sharing of our talents, of our relationships. And Stephanie is potentially going um, to Thailand in large part because of the relationships that we have with people that have planted a church in Thailand. There's the knowledge and wisdom that is gathered in this room 
uh, where Christy Martin can go into a mom's uh, group and Priscilla and others can go into a mom's group and share their knowledge and wisdom with people in the community. There's the spiritual and natural gifts of prophetic words where you're in a, in a specific season and God gives someone a prophetic word for you that actually deeply encourages you and then by definition encourages them. Now the problem is People take offense when I tell these stories. And the reason why people take offense when I tell these stories is because the, the nearest memory that I have is of people not doing that for me when I needed it done, or of the fact that I've been wounded by this community. So I want to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray for these men and women, and particularly those that are struggling with feeling invisible, and those that are struggling just with a sense of current hurt and pain from this community. I want to pray, my God, in the name of Jesus, that you bring healing. And I want to pray that you would not allow the enemy to rob the idea of a covenantal faithful community from them, in Jesus' name. Finally, we have shared convictions. Obviously, we have creedal convictions with the church universal. And Amber and I were talking about that earlier today, about, about the Apostles' Creed that has been spoken by generations of Christians. But we also have convictions that, that we hold dear as, as, a, as a family. Mary comes to Jesus, so Mary's had the shared experience with Elizabeth. She's had the shared resource. Now her conviction is challenged. When she comes to Jesus, and Jesus is in the house, and... She knocks on the door, and they say to Jesus, look, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside. They're looking for you. And he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? But those that do the will of my father, those are my brothers, my sisters, and my mother. Wow. That makes us feel really uncomfortable. Not as uncomfortable as the other scripture where Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and father. We don't have time to go into that because he's not talking about this. Now, this is the tension that we've got to understand. The conviction of family is not an either-or thing. It is a both-hand. Because when Jesus is on the cross, and he looks down at his mom, and he says to the disciple, here is your mother. Woman, here is your son. And from that time on, the disciple took, him, took her into his home. There's a sense in which we need to understand that we are not in competition with our nuclear families. That our nuclear families and our larger church family complements each other. They are a vehicle to actually restore each, each one of those things. It means that the kingdom of God creates a larger family within which my nuclear family sits. Because if that's not true, then there's no hope for the single, there's no hope for the divorced, there's no hope for the widowed, there's no hope for people that struggle with same-sex attraction. Because if the nuclear family is by definition the most important thing, then I can only ever be on the outskirts of what family means. But the reality is what Jesus is calling us into is a both-and, is that you have responsibilities for your family. But you also have the responsibility to place your family within the larger family of God. Now, this is where in Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, he says, if someone doesn't provide for their own family, and especially for a member of their own household, they have denied the faith. They are worse than those who have no faith. And there are, there are seasons where our personal nuclear family is going to be more prominent than others. 
But there's also this great reminder that we live for a greater purpose beyond this temporal life, and that our family is not in competition with that, but part of the mission that God has called us into to be able to be preachers of the kingdom of God. The question is not, should I care for my family, or should I participate on mission with my broader family? The question is this, how do I care for my family as we are together on mission with my larger family? Ultimately, what we need to recognize is that community doesn't save us, Jesus does. Banji can come up. And the strength of this community is that we have dual membership in a local body and the universal body of Christ. And I spoke about it this morning. This is where we work out the one another's, but we have a global body where we understand that we are part of something greater. This is the same thing with our own nuclear family and the church family. We understand that. We understand that community helps us to build resilience because it's in the context of community where we share experience and resources and convictions. But the most important thing that we share is our Father. That's the most important thing that we share. Community can lead us to Jesus, but it cannot replace Jesus. The strength of community is not in how well we do community. The strength of community is not in how, how good our processes are for dealing with disappointments in our community. The strength of our community is that each individual in the community is centered around the cross of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that rescues us from the curse of sin and death. It's Jesus that places us in a family. It's Jesus that uses this family to be essential for our health and growth and witness. Paul says to the Ephesian church that I encourage you to live as a people worthy of the call that you have received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body, one Spirit. Just as God called you into one hope, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Now, usually what we do is we give space for individual response to the Word. However, this morning I felt like it would be appropriate for us to give a communal response, um, especially as we're talking about the body. And uh, we will allow, allow room for people to be prayed for and to receive ministry. But what I want us to do is Patrick leads us in this next song. So I want us to go and grab the elements of communion and I want us to come back and I'm going to lead us in a communal response um, to what the cross has created within this family. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing that chorus. Part of what we do when we sing is we actually are declaring things that are true about God. This is... Um, based on the Apostles' Creed, um, but it's in uh, a sung format, and so we're going to do that together. We believe in God our Father, we believe in Christ the Son, we believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one.
It's called communion. This is a meal that saves, that heals, that unites. If you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, Scripture tells us that you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can take communion with us as a new member of the body of Christ. This is a meal that saves and heals and unites. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and after giving thanks, He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup and He said, every time you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord and until He comes again. So what I want to do um, before we take the elements is we're going to do a, a call and response and it's going to be on the screen and I'm going to play the role of leader and you will speak the role of congregation. In the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup, we declare our unity and our shared participation in Christ's sacrifice. We joyfully, expectantly and gratefully eat of this meal and we declare... Take the elements. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the precious body and blood of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. thank you that we are living members of the body of your son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. We belong to each other. And our Father, send us out to do the work you've given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. constantly at work within us um, as individuals and as a whole. And we pray that you would be glorified and honored um, through how we live life together. We pray all this in your name. Amen. If you would like to receive prayer, there will be some leaders to my left, your right, um, that are willing to pray with you. Um, but we are formally dismissed, so you can go ahead and head to the back for donuts and coffee. And thank you for being here at Mercy Commons. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.